it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, nationally syndicated radio host Jim Campbell, who has uh, written a book about uh, Bernie Madoff and his... uh, uh, financial crime of the century if you will uh the book is called madoff talks and we'll we'll get into that in the third half of our three-hour tour larry ty is back he is the uh best-selling author of uh, bobby kennedy and satchel and um he was on the show when his book demagogue came out it's now out in paperback and we're going to talk again about uh the life and long shadow of Senator Joe McCarthy. But first, um, this hour, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a book called Power to the Public. And last month, uh, President Obama tweeted uh, the following. He said, uh, I want to share a new book, Power to the Public, that illustrates how nonprofits and governments can use technology to solve some of the most pressing issues of our time. It includes some good examples and is worth a read for anyone who cares about making change happen. And one of the uh, authors of that book, uh, Hannah Schank, is uh, with me by phone, and uh, she joins me now. 
Hannah, good morning, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Um, tell me, tell me about this book, technology and nonprofits. Nonprofits tend to, uh, for budget reasons, be kind of behind the curve when it comes to keeping up with uh, business trends and technology and other things. Yeah. Um, well, so we talk about um, nonprofits and also government, um, and both of them, I would say, are equally far behind. Um, if there's sort of a joke that if you walk into a federal office, um, it's the 90s <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and I think that you know that's true for a lot of nonprofits and a lot of government offices across the across the board. And so what uh, does the book Power to the Public lay out that that might help change that? Um, so we lay out a, a something called public interest technology, um, which is something that we have, it's, it's both a field and a methodology. Um, so public interest technology, we define it as the application of design, data, and delivery to advance the public interest and promote the public good in the digital age. So it is a way of thinking about solving our most pressing problems, not necessarily always with technology, but how to think about them in a, in a tech way. And that's... Um... I can't help wondering, so much of the time, nonprofits tend to be um, centered around issues of food, clothing, and shelter. Um, how does technology help deliver those kinds of services? <laughs> right. It, it seems like a little bit of a something that's completely unrelated, right? And I mean, I understand tracking data and understanding, you know, where problems are, but when you when you talk about design, data, and delivery, the first thing popped into my head was delivery. How do, how do you deliver services, especially human services, with technology? Yeah, well, so it turns, so part of the case that we make in the book is that Technology is not necessarily the end-all, be-all, or the default, but technology is a tool that can be used to better serve people when appropriate. Um, what we uh, talk about in the book is really about how to dig to the root of a problem. So a lot of the time what happens in um, the public sector is that people will throw technology at a problem. We see it time and again, where um, people will say, oh, this app will, I mean, to your point, this app will solve homelessness. <laughs> no, no, it won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that's, so that is not, that's pretty much the opposite of what we're proposing. Um, we're, telling, we're telling stories of people who have used technology in interesting ways um, to dig to the root of a problem to... Uh, to solve problems in what could be a very non-digital way. Um, one of the stories that we tell actually um, around solving homelessness um, is about a team in Rockford, Illinois, who um, took the homelessness level to zero. Zero. <laughs> um, and the way they did it had 
very little to do with technology. Um, they put everybody together in a room who were all, so, and this is something that comes up time and again in the book, um, the, there wasn't any one person or department responsible for homelessness, for people experiencing homelessness. Um, so there are, and this is, this happens very often, that there is one person who is in charge of um, tracking the homeless count, and there's somebody else who knows how many people have showed up, you know, at the VA hospital, and there is another person who knows how many beds are occupied in the shelter. Um, but there isn't any one person or entity that sees all of the pieces. So what they did that was revolutionary in Rockford was they brought everybody into the same room and had a conversation and made a by-name list of people experiencing homelessness so they could then go name by name down the list and understand what was preventing people from either seeking shelter or being in a house. Um, and they by doing something as simple as that, really, they created a list, and we had a, an event recently with that team, and there were a bunch of questions about what was the technology you used to track the list? How, what was the, you know, what, what was the program you used? And right. the answer was Google Docs. <laughs> oh, um, so very often the tech, uh, the, the, the tech piece is something really simple. Um, and that is the case that we're making in the book, is that technology is a tool. There are a lot of different ways that you can use it. You can use it for metrics, you can, or you can use it for Google Docs. Um, I, I'm, a, but, I'm, I'm imagining a, a, a scenario when dealing with homelessness, for example, where um, using technology to, uh, I, I don't know, perhaps uh, compile a list of vacant living spaces and matching up homeless people to living spaces even you know under temporary circumstances well what's interesting is so uh, yes i mean there are a lot of once you get to the point where you're you decide that you're going to create one um one document that is going to be the voice of truth um that's already a huge step. Um, a lot of uh, programs to uh, help the homeless don't don't do that. Um, so that was a pretty revolutionary concept. Um, what they did in that case that um, was actually even more mind blowing was they tracked. So they they dug into well, what are the what are the reasons? Why are why are why are these people on this list? Um, and what they found was that one of the huge factors leading to homelessness was people missing doctor's appointments, uh, whether that was, you know, mental health issue or to get their medication. Um, they were missing appointments, and the reason they were missing appointments was because they couldn't afford the bus fare, so, or they were reluctant to spend it. Um, so what they did in that case was they... Uh, created a policy that said everybody, and this was in the first phase of the project, they were working on veteran homelessness. Um, and so they said, okay, all veterans, free bus pass. Um, and that worked. How reliable is information about the homeless population? I, I, I mean, I understand it's, it's 
a little bit different with veterans because of the uh, Veterans Administration um, maybe being able to track and, and have good numbers on that. But homeless people very often are sort of off the grid and disconnected from the ways we normally connect with people. Yeah, and what they did was they got to know every... So if this by-name list came about because they had conversations with people. It wasn't just it wasn't just a number. It wasn't just making a list. It was, and of course, you know, Rockford is not an enormous place, so they were able to do this. This might not be something that would work in a huge metropolitan area, um, but big enough, and um, they... They got to know the homeless, the people who were on the list, and to deeply understand what was preventing them from uh, being housed. And so then they were able to draw some conclusions generally about the population um, based on that. So they weren't, it wasn't just trying to, um, you know, find numbers and pull people together. It was a human connection. And, and how did technology play a role in that? Just collecting the information from their their face to face senses. Uh, so what happened was um, so the, part of the reason we tell the story actually is to show that there is not going to be an app that ends homelessness. The technology is never a silver bullet. So now, see, I thought there was an app for everything, Hannah. <laughs> right. Well, so weirdly for technologists, although actually. Probably not weirdly. Most technologists, I think, are very, um, very careful about using technology and do not want to show up and say, oh, we'll just find the right tech solution and everything will be fine. Um, and that's actually the point that we're making in this book is that technology can be used really uh, to really good ends um, if it is part of a cohesive unpeeling of the onion digging to root problems, humans, getting to know humans and what they need, and then technology might provide you with a solution to for getting them what they need, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and, and uh, it sounds a little bit like um, reminding people that technology is a tool and not a replacement for the, the hard work that goes into solving some of these issues. Absolutely. Um, and what we talk about in the book is, so the data piece and the delivery piece are often reliant on technology, and we can talk about that a little bit yeah, more. Uh, but Yeah, let's let's do, um, Hannah, but I have to put a comma here because I have a break coming up. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more about this? Absolutely. All right. My guest is Hannah Shank. She is uh, a co-author of a book called Power to the Public that outlines or illustrates, rather, how nonprofits and governments can use techn uh, technology to um, solve some of the press pressing issues that we, uh, that we face. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Um, they are 92.1 LPFM uh, our voice is Radio WFOV in Flint. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a uh, new book that illustrates how government and non-government organizations uh, can use public interest technology. The book is called Power to the Public, and uh, one of the co-authors is joining me by phone. She is called Hannah Shank. And uh, Hannah, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. (laughs) No worries. Thank you. Um, just before the break, we were starting to talk a little bit, um, well, during the last segment, we were talking about um, where technology fits into delivering what often are human services, um, food, clothing, shelter, those kinds of, of things. And there are a number of other things and examples that you might uh, you might share. Um, but what... Um, when you talk about public interest technology, um, what does that mean exactly? Um, so we have we're seeing uh, as I mentioned before, it can be it can mean there's a, a field of public interest technology that we're starting to see emerge, um, which is why we wrote the book, which is really people who are using um, design, data, and delivery in smart ways for the public good. Um, there is, uh, so, and that we are also seeing there's an academic field that is starting to emerge, which is called public interest technology, where people are training computer science majors to um, to have some kind of public policy grounding to understand that they can use their skills for good in the public sector. They don't just have to go um, build an, a new burrito delivery app. They have a lot of options, and um, also that to teach policy students um, to be tech fluent so that when they become leaders in the public sector, they'll have some sense of um, how technology can be can be used in smart ways. Um, one thing I should say, though, is um, so public interest technology isn't really a make-your-own-salad where you get to throw some design into something and call it a day. Um, it's really the combination of factors. It's a combination of design, data, and delivery, um, using those to truly unearth what people need and how to meet those needs. Yeah, I, we were talking in the last segment uh, a little bit about uh, homelessness and, and how uh, the, uh, what was it, Rockford? Uh, Yeah, Rockford, Illinois, um, had literally brought homelessness down to zero um, by using uh, combinations of of the things you just mentioned. And I know I've had conversations with people from the tech world about new technologies that are helping with, uh, for example, food delivery systems and how food is getting to food banks around the country and using technology to do that. What are some of the other examples from the uh, from the book, Power to the uh, Public, which former President Obama uh, tweeted out and endorsed uh, last month? Um, we tell a number of stories, and it's interesting that you mention the food policy piece. We don't actually cover that in the book, but there is a tremendous amount of work 
um, of smart public interest technology work happening in the food sp in the food policy space around um, getting people better food when they need it, uh, the kind of food that they want. But uh, to your question, um, there are a number of stories. We tell a story um, about how uh, in Rhode Island, the Child Welfare Agency, um, and these are kids who are uh, who go into foster care, um, they had a giant backlog, and Rhode Island decided, um, uh, uh, sorry, they had a giant backlog of families waiting to get into the system, but at the same time, they had they didn't have enough families to serve the needs of the, of the children. So they were putting children into group homes, um, because they couldn't process families fast enough to uh, to be available. Um, so we so uh, Marina Nitsa, who uh, has been around this world for a while, but also is someone who just is passionate about um, child welfare and and, during, and and the foster care system um, and ending group homes, took a look at. She worked with the state of Rhode Island um, for. She, for years um, to speed up the process so that, um, and speed up is probably not the, it was a lot of these processes, speed, speed is, doesn't necessarily, maybe streamline, maybe streamline is the, the word you're yes. looking for, I think. Yeah, yes. Um, so she took a look at what was the holdup and were there places that could be uh, streamlined, and one of the things that she found in that case, the, inter the big one of her big interventions was a staple, um, because there was a form that was two pages, and one of the big holdups was people didn't realize it was two pages, and they would only send back one page. And so uh, the child welfare team in Rhode Island would have to call to get the information that was on the second page, and that took a while. Um, and also, they weren't collecting social security numbers, and so there were multiple back and forth calls, and that could delay the process by months. Um, so again, to the, for, for technologists, I think we're very, <laughs> we want to be very cautious about recommending, you know, about how you, people in the public sector use technology. Um, and so we love that story of, Actually, what they did to fix it was um, they stapled the form. And when they stapled it, the rate of failure for returning the form went from 70% to zero. How did um, the idea for this book come about? Was there a, a red flag that, that, you know, places were using technology more and more and getting less and less results? How did that end up on your radar? Yeah, well, so I actually came from, I was a tech person in the private sector for a long period of time. Um, and Tara, my, Tara McGinnis, my co-author, um, kind of came to this from opposite ends of the uh, spectrum. She has been a long-time policy person who has worked in uh, government or nonprofits for her entire career. Um, I came into uh, government service after healthcare.gov um, and the terrible launch that happened. And when that happened, I thought, <laughs> wow, it seems like government could use me. <laughs> um, I wonder how I can help. <laughs> and That's about as big a red flag as I could have imagined. 
Right? Yeah. So, I mean, and actually what's interesting is the more you drill into the people who came into this field, healthcare.gov did a lot for getting seasoned technologists into government. A lot of people were like, thought to that as a wake-up call that, oh, I guess government doesn't have it all. You know, <laughs> they, they can't just, they, they don't have their tech chops up to speed. So perhaps I can help. Um, so I went into government after that. Um, and Tara was actually on the other end of healthcare.gov. She was um, working in the White House and was one of the people responsible for the local piece of the launch. So she, in the meantime, was trying um, to fix it, and she saw a lot of so she saw a lot of the failure that happened that led up to it, but also some of the fixes. So we um, both came to New America, which is the think tank that we work at, to spend more time learning about public interest technologies, seeing uh, it, so healthcare.gov started an effort at the federal level, but there are also these kinds of small efforts at the state level and in a lot of cities. And so we have spent the last few years tracking them and understanding what works and what doesn't um, and collecting these stories. And the book is the result of that work. You know, it seems like a natural point for for potential breakdown is that people have these different skill sets and speak different languages. You have some people that are, you know, uh, experts in in the form it's it's like a form and substance issue you got some people coming at it from you know from the tech world and then you've got some people coming at it from the the service delivery world and and the two meet and don't necessarily speak the same language is is the the intention of this book to try and um, bridge the gap between form and substance Absolutely. Um, that's a, there's a huge issue with that gap, um, and that gap occurs in a number of ways. So um, the, it plays out in a bunch of ways. So, for example, um, when in the book we look at the CARES Act that uh, was uh, rolled out last year at the start of the pandemic, um, and the gap was very evident there because the legislation said everybody is going to, um, or, you know, we're, we're increasing unemployment insurance, people are going to be able to get stimulus checks, and part of the problem with government is that things have radically changed in the last 15 years, let's say, um, how, around how people are used to having services delivered to them. So it used to be you would line up at the passport office, right? Or you take a number and spend the whole day at the DMV. Um, and, or, and you know, those are common experiences, but uh, for people who are applying for benefits or some kind of government assistance, it's the same process. So it's a lot of filling out really complex forms that don't make any sense, going in person, submitting things, sending it out into the ether, waiting three months, no updates. So that is, those are all processes. That's a, a delivery method that was okay 20 years ago. We just accepted things took a long time and required forms and going in person or the mail. Um, but everything is shifted online. And so when you order shoes, they show up the next day. And so the difference between 
what government service delivery looks like and what delivery of pretty much everything else looks like is enormous. Um, and as we were talking about at the beginning, government has not kept up with the time. So there, um, so government lacks the, the capacity to do those kinds of, that kind of instant delivery that we all expect. Um, so when something like the CARES Act gets passed, the intention is there, the policymakers know what they want to have happen, but the IRS, for example, who is actually in that case, they were on the hook for the delivery, they're not set up to do that. <laughs> they're, right. they're set up to process your giant tax forms once a year, and you know that's about the digital capacity that they have. So that meant all of a sudden, wait, people are going to apply for things and track the status, and we can't do that. That doesn't exist. Um, so part of what we want to do with the book is just call attention to, this is a really big gap. This is going to cause a lot of problems. This means that government has no chance of delivering your benefits the next day the way that it would deliver, you know, the, the way that the private sector delivers your shoes. Do you have a, a particular audience in mind that you hope will read this book? Now, most people Anna, that have written a book say, of course, everybody. But but is are there people that, that you're really hoping this, this book will get in front of? I think our primary audience is really uh, people who are either policymakers or adjacent to making policy. Um, so anybody who is responsible for, who has the possibility of changing how things are done. Um, and that could be, you know, that could be a range of people, but we really are hoping to call attention to, um, you know, for policymakers, they need to get curious about how people are accessing their services. They need to be um, filling out the forms themselves. They need to, you know, I used to work in advertising and we talked a lot about you have to eat your own dog food. People in government and in nonprofits need to eat their own dog food. They need to understand what the experience is like for the people who are um, living with a need or for the people who are the frontline workers who are trying to fulfill that need. Often those people are also struggling to deliver um, what people need. So um, I think top of mind for sure policymakers, but um, also I think anybody who works at any level in a government or a nonprofit can start asking why. They can start saying, why do we do, do it this way? Why is this on blue paper? Is it printed on blue paper because there's a legal need to print it on blue paper or because somebody in the office likes blue? Um, are there, you know, why is this form on two pages? Why do we have to ask all these questions? When we say people are going to get be able to get some kind of assistance, how hard is it going to be for them to get assistance? If they need that assistance tomorrow, are we going to be able to provide it tomorrow? Or is it going to take a three-month wait? Is there a part of this where John Q. Public could could read this book and and maybe suggest to the the deliverers of these various services, whether they be government or non-government organizations, is is there a role for John Q. Public to play in that process? Absolutely. Um, I think that you know, n during normal times, uh, John Q. Public doesn't have a tremendous amount of interaction with government. 
Um, but in a crisis, we need government. We need government to create, to do things we can't do on our own, to create vaccines, to provide unemployment insurance, to provide food if we're unemployed. Um, so uh, I think a lot more people, people right now are experiencing what it is like to interact with the government. It is not just the most vulnerable. Um, it's all of us. And if you find that experience unsatisfactory, um, say something. And we are, you know, I think part of government is quite reactive to junkie public rising up and on mass and saying, this is not working for me. Um, this is not providing me what I need. Uh, we did see some of that with the vaccine rollout um, with uh, the many of the states and cities were not able to stand up um, scheduling software in a way that didn't make people crazy, <laughs> frankly. Um, and the public says this is not acceptable. Unfortunately, right now, the public also has the general sense that, of course, it's not acceptable because government did it. Um, but think that the public needs to keep the pressure on government to say, this is not how we want our services to function. This is not, it's not okay for me to submit something and have no idea where it is in the process and if I'm ever going to get it, not okay. Um, the more noise that people make, the more pressure it will put on policymakers and lawmakers to change the way that things are, uh, that things are done right now. My guest is uh, Hannah Shank, and uh, she is a co-author of a book called Power to the Public. Hannah, how much of the book is geared toward fixing broken systems, and how much of it suggests new systems? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I, um, you know, government is old. <laughs> it's really old. So there are a lot of old systems. So I think probably the bulk of the work, actually, I think it's hard to say. There is a tremendous amount of work with fixing old systems that don't work. Um, but we are also seeing a need for new systems when there's a new, when there's a crisis, right? Things need to, government also needs the ability to, be reactive quickly. Um, so those are going to be new systems. Um, you know, when we're talking about uh, scheduling a vaccine or um, you know a new a new problem, um, those are new systems. But to answer your question, probably a lot of it um, is is re is, is digging out the old systems that exist and asking why did these exist, why did these function this way, and is that still appropriate for our world today? To get people to stop saying, because we've always done it that way. Absolutely. <laughs> and what, what, what we've, for sure, to get people to stop saying that, and also what we have found is that as people dig into these systems, they discover that they are purposely inequitable. Um, there's a lot of racism or baked into a lot of our systems and if you keep or and a lot of our processes um, today are broken and if you digitize a broken process you get a digitized broken process so uh, 
for sure. Uh, you know, so I think, yes, a lot of them are old systems, but um, looking at them with new eyes um, makes a big difference. Hannah, in the process of, of researching and putting this book together, um, did did it suggest some some issues that require further study and exploration? In other words, um, is is there more to come, or is this a one off? Um, for the book, like, is there? A, yeah. Will there be? Will there be a follow up? Um, wow, I don't know. We're, we've been so overwhelmed with uh, just promoting, uh, you know, talking about this book. I think. Well, I guess we have to see what happens, right? I mean, I just, I just, am, to... I'm just wondering, Hannah. A lot of times when I talk to people who've who've written a book, there's there's a feeling they get to the end of the book and and there's kind of this, but wait, there's more moment. And I just wondered uh, if there was one that was obvious to you and and what's next and so on. Yes. Well, so we tried to keep this book short and that was partially why and accessible um because we want as many people in government and nonprofits to read it as possible and to your point um all, it's, it's not a bad read for for john q public either um who wants to know why things are the way they, that they are today and to see that there's some light at the end of the tunnel for doing things differently i think that for sure there is um uh, the possibility of doing a deeper look into some of these um, some of these uh, public interest technology projects. Um, we, to keep it short and concise, we picked data design delivery as the three elements that we wanted to focus on, but there are a lot of other elements <laughs> um, that these kinds of projects take into account. Um, and we touch on some of them, but there's probably room for um, a book on a deep dive on how to do this. And I will also add, this is one of, our book is one of a number of books on public interest technology that are all, some have come out and a few are scheduled to come out, um, which we find really exciting. Like it really is, there really is a movement to improve the way that things are done. Well, it's a fascinating and uh, important topic uh, to uh, explore and I, I really appreciate you sharing time with me this morning I can't believe how fast the time has gone and I always want to let guests know uh, or uh, have guests let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about now obviously the book is a great place to start power to the public but is there um, a, a website or some resource where people can explore this uh, topic more um, yeah, well, so, uh, Tara McGinnis and I both are at, um, New America, a think tank in, well, I think an action tank in D.C., and, um, there's certainly stuff on our website about, um, the public interest technology program, and, um, Tara runs the New Practice Lab, which takes a public interest technology approach to, um, hands-on projects, so those are both good places. Well, the book is uh, Power to the Public. My guest is Hannah Shank. Hannah, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. 
And with that, we'll uh, let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination. Freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. That computer that tore us apart, dear. Automation broke my heart. There's an RCA 503 standing next to me, dear, where you used to be. Doesn't have your smile. Doesn't have your shape Just a bunch of punch cards And light bulbs and tape Dear You're a girl who's soft Warm and sweet But you're only human And that's obsolete Though I'm very fond of that new 503 Automation's not for me. It was automation, I'm told. That's why I got fired and I'm out in the cold. How could I have known when the 503 started in to blink it was winking at me dear i thought it was just some mishap when it sidled over and sat on my lap but when it said i love you and gave me a hug dear that's when i pulled out it's plugged. <laughs> 
this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. something its Rotary Club can boast of Some product that the state produces the most of Rhode Island is little but oh my It has a product anyone would buy Beaches come from Georgia And lobsters come from Maine The wheat fields are the sweet fields of Nebraska And Kansas gets bonanzas from the grain Old whiskey comes from old Kentucky Ain't the country lucky New Jersey gives us glue And you, you come from Rhode Island And little old Rhode Island is famous for you Cotton comes from Louisiana Gophers from Montana And spuds from Idaho They plow land in the cowland of Missouri Where most beef meant for roast beef Seems to grow Grand Canyons come from Colorado Gold comes from Nevada Divorces also do
Pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.